Hi, I'm Caitlin. Hi, I'm Rebecca. We're not from Memphis, but we love it. Welcome to Memphis Type History, the podcast. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, Caitlin. (laughs) What are we going to talk about today? Well, you're going to listen to a story about something that a lot of Memphians know about and a lot of them don't know about. Mm. I'm going to start. I'm going to start out with a quote from a 19 July 31st, 1961 issue of the Memphis Pressimeter by Charles A. Brown. Okay. We have an eternal organization here, a church. Our temple is the most beautiful place in the world. All these things have meaning. They are symbols of God. A canvas awning was pulled back and he motioned into the temple. The floors, walls, and ceiling were covered with colorful pieces of satin. The little building was filled with other symbols and dolls, illuminated by tiny electric lights. It took me four years to make this. Sometimes I would go in 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 the morning and not come out until the next. How did I do it? By the power of God. What did he make? He made a temple. In Memphis? Yeah. Okay, where is it at? Oh, is this? What is it? I like how intrigued you are. I am. So where is it? This is Voodoo. This is Voodoo Village. Oh, I haven't been there. I haven't either. So I didn't know about Voodoo Village until blues musician Charlie Musselwhite told me about it mm-hmm. when I was interviewing him about Leahy's Trailer Park for the book, which was awesome. Side note. So he sent me some. He told me about this place and he sent me some links to it. Just as he thought of something kind of off the beaten path that I'd be interested in, and I was. It seems like it's kind of something a lot of kids talk about in high school in Memphis, which is maybe why I didn't know about it. And a lot of them maybe even just think it's an urban legend. And a lot about it is an urban legend, actually, although it does exist. Is this the one that has a fence and there's a bunch of little charms hanging off of it? Uh, yeah, and there's like a lot of statues and stuff mm-hmm. inside. Yeah, this is the one. Okay. So before I get any further into it, though, I do want to just say that I think the warnings to not go and try to see it are understandable. Uh, the family that lives there has dealt with gawkers and people kind of like disturbing their peace for decades. Hmm. So since I recommend not going in the show notes, I'm going to put everything I could find that I thought was interesting for getting further information about it, looking at some pictures. There aren't a lot of pictures, so I'll put some of the pictures that I found on there. And uh, there's a good YouTube video uh, that's actually, it's a documentary made with the cooperation of the owner. So you can see a lot in that short video. And so I hope that will relieve your curiosity. It has mine and not go try to actually go see the place. So show notes are at memphistypehistory.com slash temple, memphistypehistory.com slash temple. And also I'm going to share, when I was researching this, I found a lot of accounts of visiting the site. And so I'm going to put some of my favorites from that on Patreon. So if you support the show with even just a dollar a month, you can get some of those extra insider bits of my favorite Voodoo Village stories, encounter stories. So if you want those, that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Okay. 
I'll support it. Yeah. Are you yeah. ready? Oh, okay. Let's hear it. <laughs> All right. So I want to set the record straight on what Voodoo Village actually is. Because even though we like really weird, off-the-beaten-path kind of stories, we also like to treat the stories with respect and all of that. And so I do want to go ahead and talk about what the place was made for and what it is, instead of only talking about the urban legend side of it. So the actual name of the place is St. Paul's Holiness Temple. Huh. So, yeah, sticky note that because it's long, St. Paul's Holiness Temple. Okay. <laughs> Washington Doc Harris, a self-ordained Baptist minister from central Mississippi, built the temple on this land and lived there with his family. So the Shelby County property assessor records uh, seem to indicate that the property was purchased in 1946 by a man of mixed Native American and African American descent, uh, which Doc was... Uh, supposed to be. So it seems like that's when he bought the land. And then the adjacent properties were purchased in the 50s. The temple was built as a center for spiritual healing in the mid-1950s. And Doc's son, uh, Washington Mook Harris, and also called James, I think, uh, joined him there in 1960. And it's assumed that his descendants are the people who are living there now. James is kind of like the new pastor of the temple. So they have a pastor. Yeah, Doc was the first pastor. And today it's his son? Yeah, I believe Yeah, I believe okay. so. So they've kept it on for at least two ge- generations? Yeah, and I, there's grandchildren involved as well, which it got a little confusing uh, looking through things, but I think also, and I'll talk about later, but the son, the uh, husband of his granddaughter, I think, also was the pastor at some point. All right, so we kind of talked about it, and uh, you've seen some pictures of it. The area is, is made up of some colorfully painted buildings. Uh, I've seen most accounts refer to them as shotgun houses. Yeah. So to give you an idea of like size and what they look like. Mysterious sculptures like crosses full of nails, huge propellers, and other kinds of surreal machines that are all made out of painted wood. Uh, estimates are that there are over 1,500 pieces out there. Where did these pieces come from? They made them. Okay. Harris, Doc Harris made them. Okay. I'm going to read you another account that adds a bit more to the picture. I just like this description of this is what someone said that they saw there. I, I think it's from the same Pressimeter article that I read at the top of the show. Inside the compound was a homemade temple covered with crosses, hearts, and sunbursts and filled with small lights, candles, and voodoo dolls. An eight-foot candle, a giant figure with outstretched arms often described as a thunderbird with horns, something with a huge propeller, fan spindle spinners, stars and crescent moons perched on poles, not shrunken heads as the legends had it, a set of wheels connected by a crosscut saw, Painted stumps, towering crosses, African pygmy masks, and a statue of Jesus holding a Bible with a dagger through it, as well as through his hand. According to what a few what few neighbors were nearby, the villagers burned bonfires and chanted in tongues on the occasion of full moons, and the eyes of Jesus glowed while blood dripped from the dagger. All of this was accompanied by a half dozen junk cars. That's a lot. 
That is a lot. <laughs> so if you go there today, what what year was that press scimitar? It was in 1961. Um, and I can't, I think this is from that article. I also referenced a 1984 commercial appeal article. Uh, and it, so it could be from that one, but I think it's from the one in the sixties. Either I way. I unfortunately didn't actually note it. Yeah. Either way. Uh, either way. You think they've been adding to it? So it's just, no, no, the opposite. It's been kind of falling away because of vandalism and oh. just like, I mean the stat, yeah, the statues and stuff are all made out of wood. So, you know, weather kind of wears them down. Yeah. So it's, it's not as lively as I think it may have been in the past. In, in the 1950s. It was all brand new, right? Yeah. In the 1950s, it was brand new and I think maybe more lively. So even this well. temple, it was a place that the people who lived in these houses in this new neighborhood, they could walk to or be a part of if they wanted to, you think? Yeah, I think so. When he So when he first built the spiritual center, they held uh, Bishop Harris... So I've seen him referred to as like pastor and then also bishop. So Bishop Harris held Sunday services that were open to worshipers who wanted healing. So I think people from the neighborhood could go. I think um, I saw one quote from him, either him or his son, maybe saying that like people accused them of practicing voodoo there, but they weren't. They were practicing Christianity, but they would have a lot of people come for healing from voodoo being done on them. Oh, and so they could. That's interesting. Yeah, he said he had the gift of like healing people of lots of things, including voodoo curses and stuff like that. So hmm. a little bit more about his concept behind it and how his healing abilities play into even the construction and like architecture around the place and the statues and stuff. When he built the spiritual center, he called his work "Degrees of God," due to his belief in his preaching and healing abilities being gifts from God. And so these degrees of God emphasize their sacred purposes. And one article about the site points out that these creations are traditional in vernacular houses of worship in the deep South of the African and native American spiritual church. So while to maybe like uninformed, like people don't know about anything like that, they seem very, creepy and strange but then this person you know knows more about these types of churches and worship practices and so they said it was it's it's not like it's common to that Hmm. culture and like i said so like not really much to do with voodoo there is a lot of imagery taken from freemasonry you know what that is Mm -mm. Freemasonry. Oh, man. Harris was a Mason, although some accounts, like there's an article in the 1978 University of Memphis Helmsman that said he actually started his own Masonic society because he wasn't allowed membership into either the white or the black Masonic groups because of his mixed heritage and being a part Native American. So the imagery is from the Bible and from Freemasonry. So and the term craft work, he uses the term craft work rather than like art or something. Craft work and degrees of God, those are Freemasonry terms. So Freemasons, so what I know of them, I used to be really interested in stuff like this um, when I was younger. And I would watch like 
history channel stuff on like Freemasons and all their secrets. It's like, it's a secret society type thing for men. Oh, so did they reject you, Caitlin? Uh, I cannot disclose whether I've been accepted or rejected. (laughs) No, you Uh learned well. Okay. So Masons meet in a lodge. There are a lot of Masonic lodges around Memphis. I'd like to maybe do an episode on them in the future. Which one did you apply because for? I've been, I'm very interested. I cannot disclose. It is secret. <laughs> Everything is a secret. We even have he- I'm secret. Gonna get you I mean, to they, f- we, whoever, has secret handshakes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Masonic Lodge is the basic organizational unit of Freemasonry. The lodge meets regularly to conduct the usual formal business of any small organization pay bills, organize social and charitable events, elect new members, etc. In addition to business, the meetings may perform a ceremony to confer a Masonic degree or receive a lecture, which is usually on some aspect of Masonic history or ritual. At the conclusion of the meeting, the lodge might adjourn for a formal dinner or festive board, sometimes involving toasting and song. So the rituals are what's really interesting because they're secret. And they consist of, it says, degree ceremonies. Candidates for Freemasonry are progressively initiated into Freemasonry, first in the degree of entered apprentice. Sometime later, in a separate ceremony, they will be passed to the degree of fellow craft. And finally, they will be raised to the degree of master mason. In all of these ceremonies, the candidate is entrusted with passwords, signs, and grips peculiar to his new rank. Another, so secret handshakes. Let's just, let's just call it what it is. Another ceremony is the annual installation of the master and officers of the lodge. In some jurisdictions, installed master is valued as a separate rank with its own secrets to distinguish its members. In other jurisdictions, the grade is not recognized and no inner ceremony conveys new secrets during the installation of a new master at the lodge. They usually have some sort of social calendar that allows Masons and their partners to meet in a less ritualized environment. The Masons are usually obligated to contribute to charities. Yeah. I mean, then there's like all this stuff on joining a lodge and how you join them, get initiated. Which you already know. It's really crazy. It's kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't disclose what I know <laughs> or don't know. You're ca- you're really trying to I catch know. me up. I don't want to try to get you in trouble. Yeah. I want them to come find you in Shanghai. Oh, man. I wonder if there are Masons here. Yes. It's so interesting. I just, secret societies are endlessly fascinating to me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, yes, he held services at this time. It's not open now for, like, they don't have, like, regular service stuff, probably because they were often interrupted by gun-toting and shouting trespassers. Oh. Yeah. But they had good intentions. The idea was that they were doing spiritual healing to anybody that came in their doors. Yeah, but like they got harassed a lot by people who didn't understand what they were doing. I guess because their religion looked different, or not religion, but their like method Rituals. of worship. Yeah, seemed so different that people would say they were doing voodoo and like shoot guns to at them. Not like try to shoot them, but like right. fire guns Vandalize in the air or whatever. Their place. Vandalize. A lot of racial slurs being shouted, that sort of thing. So I found another interesting quote uh, from a 1984 Commercial Appeal article uh, from Bishop Harris uh, describing what he created. He said, all this that you see is my craft. It is the work of one man and don't nobody know what it means but me. 
people are always coming here trying to talk, trying to talk to me about it, but I don't discuss it with anyone. If I give it away, the secret he means in parentheses, parentheses, the secret he means, Mm -hmm. what have I got? I'm the only one who understands it. God told the black man and the Indian something he didn't tell nobody else. The only way you're ever going to find out what all this means is to get like me. That's interesting. Yeah. And that is known as Hoodoo Village. Voodoo. Voodoo. I thought you have been saying hoodoo. No, hoodoo's different than voodoo. Oh, okay. And the voodoo comes from people that assuming that he practiced voodoo. Yeah, so I even, like, I called it that just at the beginning so people know what I talk about, what I'm talking about, but uh, it was they Saint really Paul. prefer Let me see if I remember. St. Paul. I don't remember. St. Paul's Holiness Temple. Holiness Temple. Yeah. St. Paul's Holiness Temple. Or you could Temple. call, I guess you could say. Otherwise, you could say the spiritual center. <laughs> I just I just like to call people what they want to be called, call things what people want them to be called, you know. Yeah. Yeah, people call it Voodoo Village because of misunderstanding. I found an article in the Memphis Flyer that discussed where the Voodoo Village term came from, from their perspective, from the Harris's perspective. Mm-hmm. It said, St. Paul's Temple was given its derogatory local moniker by outsiders who didn't understand Wash Harris's visionary gift. The misleading nickname was perpetuated by local media, prompting generations of thrill-seekers, souvenir hunters, and armed hellraisers to make nocturnal visits to the property, driving the church deeper and deeper into isolation. Efforts to demystify the temple and establish it as a community treasure have met with obstacles. For Mook Harris, the memories of trespassers cursing and firing guns during his father's Sunday services are still fresh. Mistrust runs deep, and the family has been reluctant to surrender its privacy. So the article I found that account in was documenting an exhibit called The Soul of the City that the Brooks Museum did in 2012. Mm-hmm. And it actually included some of the artifacts from St. Paul's Temple that they managed to get loaned to them. But Harris wouldn't explain the meaning behind any of them, saying, you have to figure this out for yourself. Huh. And explaining that they were built for the future to help people discover the right way to go. Okay. Yeah. Huh, that would have been an interesting exhibit. Yeah, for sure. So when Harris died in 1995, and he was in like his late 80s or something, Marvin White, the husband of his granddaughter, took over as pastor while he he was also working for MLGW and going to night school at the University of Memphis for an electrical engineering degree. I just had to throw that in there. I thought that was really interesting. (laughs) Because I think a lot of people think that people who live there just like stay in the compound or something, but obviously they don't like they're out there living. Like we may have been in the grocery store with them. We don't even know. Yeah. And is he an electrical engineer? I couldn't find out anything else about him. Okay. I tried to look it up and see like if he had a career or something somewhere, but I couldn't find anything. Electrical engineer would be awesome. Yeah. In 2003, Marvin White, wrote a letter to the commercial appeal trying to clear some stuff up about the temple. And it's, he said, Doc Harris did not build a compound named Voodoo Village. He built St. Paul's Spiritual Temple, a Christian church. Voodoo Village is a disrespectful, false characterization spread by this newspaper. 
Although many people who believe they are victims of voodoo seek help from us, our ministry is strictly one of healing. The structures outside the temple support our ministry. They are physical expressions of our faith. They protect our unapologetic love and reverence for Jesus Christ. And around this time, a lot of outsider art enthusiasts and folk art, like that folk art kind of style, those artists uh, and collectors have been have since then and have been wanting St. Paul's Temple to make the grounds public and charge admission because they could make a lot from that, obviously, and like keep going, but also so that people can appreciate the craft work inside. Yeah, I'd be interested. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense on one hand because it is a historical treasure, I think. Yeah. But on the other hand, the leadership doesn't really want the work to be treated as secular because it's supposed to be religious. Oh, yeah. The same Pastor White sent a letter to Judith McWillie, who's the co-author of No Space Hidden. And she gathered a lot of information about St. Paul's Temple, uh, like the real story. Oh, it's uh, the author of No Space Hidden, The Spirit of African American Yard Work, which is like, those sculptures that are like in. So those sculptures that they created were part of the whole healing environment then. Yeah. Okay. So Pastor White sent a letter to Judith and said, it is not unfriendliness. We simply do not try to push our convictions onto others, nor do we aggressively solicit membership. In fact, we, the caretakers of the temple, will only consider unsolicited petitions for membership from adults who feel led by God to this specific work of the Spirit. But it is true that onlookers and sightseers are discouraged, and there are no public tours. Furthermore, it is contrary to church policy to photograph any part of St. Paul Temple, as photographs capture imperfections created by time and weather, which, without corrective commentary, inaccurately reflect the spiritual message. For this reason, consistent with this present effort, we will offer a series of sketches of some of the temple spiritual works for limited public viewing. I think he's referring to her research for the book the, in the effort. But. Okay. And in the case where the Brooks Museum had some material? Yeah, they chose it, I guess, specifically for the Brooks to be able to exhibit. And they provided no comment and like no explanation of what it is. You're just supposed to yeah. let it speak to you, I guess. Okay. I found a blog comment, and it's anonymous, but I think it is this Judith McWillie who explained that the temple is actually built in the style of New Orleans spiritual temples. Hmm. A lot of them were destroyed in Katrina. So that's why I say, like, this is kind of like a historical treasure. Because it doesn't, like, a lot of those kinds, the temples of this style don't exist anymore. And so this commenter pointed out that misrepresenting the space basically means we're all missing out on a really historical aspect of Memphis and the entire South that's right under our noses. And it really could probably even be, they contend on the National Historic Registry, but the family is so guarded probably because of the harassment and vandalism and the voodoo village and and like the urban legend of the voodoo village. That's kind of upsetting. Yeah, like I felt like when I first started researching it, honestly, I was like on the urban legend side, like, oh, this place is haunted and like creepy. And I thought, you know, that's kind of what this story would be about. But then now that I've really learned more about it, 
I feel really bad for the family to be harassed like so much. And there's still all the time. I mean, I think not as much, not as many people like go down there and try to look at it. So it's like in the sixties, but, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I they still have issues with it and you get like, I mean, there are a lot of stories I'll put on Patreon of like, you know, people, especially like these are from like the sixties, like kids going down there and like a bunch of men coming out to the fence and kind of like menacing them and, there's like the urban, I don't know if it's an urban legend or a real thing of like people going like the way you go down to look at it, you have to like go in and turn around and get back out. Yeah. So you're outside of the gate, but like you're kind of going into a space that only has one exit. Right. So there are stories of people like going into that and go and trying to get back out but as soon as they turn their car around, there's like a bus or a truck like blocking the way all of a sudden. Huh. So, I mean, I don't really know. Like you can't prove any of that right. stuff is true. Like nobody took a picture. But so I think those kind of stories, if they aren't urban legend, they sort of fueled it, I guess. But I, I kind of suspect a lot of those are, I don't know, maybe not true. I'm sure there are people who, I don't know. There may be people who really that did happen yeah, to them. Yeah, that's no way of knowing. But um. Yeah, it's hard to know. So, yeah, I thought this it was so interesting. And then I just, yeah, I kind of feel bad. Like, I wish we could all know a little bit more about it because it does seem to be an aspect of, like, culture and heritage that it would be interesting to know more about and to understand better. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious what it looks like now. I'll put some pictures on show notes, memphistypehistory.com slash mm-hmm. temple, and some video and uh, some stories on Patreon, patreon.com slash Memphis type history. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about SpeakPipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's on our website. By the time you're listening to this, it allows you to leave a voicemail to us up to three minutes. So be concise and share your own Memphis memory, weird Memphis story. We'd love to play them on the podcast. Maybe it'll even give us some cool episode ideas based on you. That's awesome. So send us your voicemails. I I can't wait to hear what people come up with. Well, that's it for my story about St. Paul's Holiness Temple, a.k.a. Voodoo Village, by those not in the know. This has been Memphis Type History Podcast. I like your type. All right. You've been listening to Memphis Type History, the podcast. It would mean so much to us if you head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review. Be sure to subscribe and never miss an episode. Want to be part of Memphis Type History and get behind the scenes content, merch, and more? Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Memphis Type History. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Memphis Type History. Find more Memphis Type History on our blog at memphistypehistory.com, on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest as Memphis Type History, and on Twitter at Memphis Type. 